Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I make up one half of Pot Liquor. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Well, 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 we're back and we're ready for another show. What's up, partner? What's up, Kim? How are you doing today? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. Hi, Dr. A. I'm well, and I had a good week. It's good to see you. Made it through. And let's get it on. Let's do it. All right. So uh, those of y'all familiar with, this is the Pilot Podcast, and we always start I'll show off with the wow of the week. And this week it comes from Brother Bobby Seale, co-founder of the Black Panther Party. And he says, you don't fight racism with racism. The best way to fight racism is with solidarity. And, you know, the whole adage about divide and conquer, I think this is what he's talking about. I think that you know, coming together on one accord is the way we would uh, defeat white supremacy and racism. That is my take on his wow of the week. What say you? I agree wholeheartedly. As usual, you nailed it. And the only thing that I would add is that it just reminds us that we have to uh be strategic and deliberate. We can't be too emotional about how we fight racism. And we also, it also reminds me of something that Dr. King said. He said that you can't drive out hate with hate. Only love can do that. And it's the same thing with, you can't drive out the darkness with darkness. Only light can do that. And you can't fight fire with fire. You have to use water. So I think the moral of the story is let's use common sense. Let's be strategic and deliberate and not too emotional. Words of wisdom indeed from Black Panther Bobby C. Well said from my partner indeed. Well said. All right, before we jump into Before we jump into our wow, we have our first plug of the week, which is something that I use on a regular basis. This is a little compact one that I carry with me. It's the Brother Scanner, and God knows I know there's different copying machines that just takes your documents and it sends it to you via email and then you can send it off but when you don't have that big machine around this is the next thing uh it fits into anybody's uh book bag and you could bring it around hook it up to your laptop and if you have 
a document that you need to sign and scan. Um, those of us who work mobily a lot, like at different coffee shops or different libraries, this definitely comes in handy. So this is the Brother Scanner. I think it's only like $129. Well, all right. And let us move on. All right. So we have a lot going on today. And we briefly want to get into this big topic that's been in the news for a little while now. This is mm -hmm. the, the writer's strike um, out in Hollywood. This really impacts all of us who are television fans, movie fans, radio, uh, you name it. Um, so the article, Especially the, we, late, the we, late night talk shows. Yeah, we, we were we were looking at this this week and we decided to bring on some guests, some people who have some actual experience in the film. I mean, in the area of of writers. So our first guest uh, is Brother AJ. Is it Kapar? Par is a silent K. And Sister Christina Royster. We wanted to bring them on to the show because they can give us some actual insight um, about Hello, what is actually going on. So welcome, both of you. Thank welcome. you. Did they get, did they get any applause? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Welcome. Good production work there, partner. All right. <laughs> so what is well before we get started, let let's let y'all introduce yourself to our audience so they can know who you are and what area uh that you're in. Um that gives y'all the great credibility that y'all have to tell our listeners about what's going on in Hollywood. Ladies first. Okay, wonderful. So I'll start. So my name is Christina Royster, and I am a former situation comedy writer. I used to write for a show called Sister Sisters, starring T and Tamara Maori. But I've also worked as a writer's assistant and as a creative executive for the Walt Disney Company. Um, I'm currently running my own marketing communications firm called Big Media Agency. And basically, my whole life has been about storytelling. So I'm happy to be with here with you, uh, both of you today, and thank you for the invitation. How you doing, guys? So my name is AJ Parr. Uh, my track is very similar to Chris Christina. Uh, graduated from Howard in a film, radio, television uh, degree, and then I ended up going out to California. I also worked as a writer's assistant on various TV shows had an opportunity to write professionally on shows, rewrites, and you name it. And um, I had a, a good opportunity to write and direct a film called The Box, starring Gabrielle Union and John Carlo Esposito, and have and constantly have you know uh, things in the fire in the works. Okay, so there there 
is or was, we could say, a big strikeout mm-hmm. in Hollywood with the WGA, that's the Writers Guild mm-hmm. uh, Association. Um, let, let our audience know kind of like the ins and out first of like what a writer's job is. Like a lot of people, we watch television mm-hmm. and we see the writer's name. If you're like me, you stick around for the credits. You see the writer's name. Like how does a sitcom or a drama come up? Like take us in the writing room, if you will. Sure. So I'll take that one. So um, it's a really fascinating world, actually. Essentially, um, you know, you have an executive producer who has working with an internal team working on a show Bible and really almost like the roadmap for the show. Um, And the writers are engaged in a few ways. Um, There's the infamous writing um, the table, the, the, mm-hmm. rewrite, the writer's table, <laughs> mm-hmm. where everybody comes together. Um, typically, the writers write their own scripts individually, and then they bring that script to table, and the team of writers around the table will then um, work with the actors through a table read and then get the reactions from that read and then bring it back, um, and everybody kind of rewrites together. Now, Um, I do know that some of the teams have been um, decreasing in size, Mm -hmm. and that's one of the issues on the table for Mm -hmm. the writer's strike that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, years ago, there were more writers on many shows, um, and now they're trying to consolidate some of the work. So um, it's actually a magical process. And if you're on a situation comedy, for example, it's a fun process because um, I enjoy projects that are always moving and, you know, being a part of an episodic project means there's always something new coming down the pike um, the next week. So I really have enjoyed that process. So uh, a follow-up question. So we have a season, right? And whether it's, it's changed over the years, 22 shows, 13 shows, 10 shows, if it's on one of the streaming networks, it, yep. especially yep. If, if it's an, an hour. Uh, but, yep. you know, like if we do a difference between, I don't know, Snowfall and Issa Rae's, um, what's her name? Insecure. Hers was a, a half an hour. So if does the executive producer or the lead person come in and say, here's the 10 episodes like and maybe have name and a little synopsis of like what's supposed to happen in those different episodes and then they don't I I can take that one so I mean basically what what you're doing they they so the EP or the creator probably has a basic idea of what they want to do but what Christina mentioned with the writer's room so you start off with basically like a you could call it a story camp or whatever, but you're basically breaking stories. So you kind of these basic ideas that the that the EP or the lead creatives want to do, they bring together their writing staff and then you kind of break those stories. You kind of flesh them out. Right. 
and and say, okay, this is the direction, like what she was talking about with a show Bible. It could be the entire series or it could be just that season, but you kind of flesh those things out as a group. And then based on, on how many episodes it's going to be, and, the, and, and in terms of the episode number, it's not always necessarily that the EP of the show is like, oh, I only want to do 10 episodes or whatever, because it's still a process. You still have to involve the studios and so on and so forth and your budget and what you're able to do in terms of, of, you know, the material, you know, like what your limitations are is a big is a big piece of it. So they would they would go out and flesh out whatever amount of episodes there are. And then those scripts would get assigned to whether it's a writing team or an individual writer. And then that writer or writers would go off and do their outlines, things of that nature. Uh, potentially in the writing room, you would do, you know, a beat sheet, which is basically story points. We want these particular points to take place in the XYZ scene, whether it's an hour long or a TV show, but you're going to do the beats, right? And then... Once you have that, the writer is going to do an outline. Outline is going to be um, approved, you know, or disapproved or changed or modified or whatever, because it's not really, uh, listen, it's not guesswork. Like you want as, you know, as much detail or understanding of what you're getting. But then once that's agreed upon, okay, this is the story. This is what we want to do. These are, you know, basically the main beats and in the scenes, then the writer would go off and write and then bringing it back. It could do the table, as Christina said, where everybody kind of weighs in and helps to modify and make the things better. Or potentially it could go to senior producers slash EPs and then they do their pass on it and then they could say, OK, this is good. And then it still has to, again, regardless of whatever is done, as Christina mentioned, there's there's the uh, the process of doing run throughs and things like that to see if it works. And then also, regardless of whatever, even if the producers and everybody on the show love it, still has to get executive uh, executive pr uh, approval from above me in the studio. So there is a there's a process to doing every single show. And but also, Dr. A, I think what you were mentioning does happen on occasion where, you know, if, if the show is um, very, um, if the talent attached to the show or the star is, is you know, really in kind of like the middle of the, the weeds and the storytelling, sometimes they may come into the room and say, hey, you know, I really just can't say that out of my mouth or yeah, that's true. Like for this story to go more like this, or they mm -hmm. may be even involved earlier in the process. I think it just depends on whether or not they are producers on the show or right. you know what their um, actual involvement um, is. So that does happen. The scenario you set up does happen. So I had asked that question because when it comes down to strikes, like it's, it's a matter of like usually working conditions and pay. Mm -hmm. Like what's going on? Uh, like why are we eliminating the writers? And when you eliminate writers, you're eliminating, I would say, pretty decent salaries. Right. So that's being is that is that is that money chopped out of the budget with the new streaming is television losing money that way. Um, something that's making jobs in jeopardy. And, I, and I've read 
and maybe Kim can help me out with this too, is that with the streaming, writers are getting less residuals. Um, now they're also talking about AI coming in to replace writers. And that, I've heard that on several talks, well, several podcasts and talk shows over the past week. Like that was a real concern. Like folks can come in and use AI and they can flesh out entire stories and then they just bring in two writers or a writer to just like dress it up the right way and then you eliminate a lot of people from the room. My question is like, what is going on? <laughs> so it's interesting that you mentioned AI because this is really a conversation at the core of the marketing communications industry, the writing industry, all creative in industries, right? And while we think that machines can, you know, execute on these various tasks and they can and the programs can, um, you still lose that creative spark. You still lose the direction and you still lose, frankly, the authenticity. I don't care what kind of AI program you're talking about. They haven't lived as, you know, a student at Morgan State University where we were talking about uh, Dr. A during the 1990s, or they don't have that direct experience. I'm the mother of two girls. They don't have, they weren't in the room uh, when my daughter graduated from college or those unique experiences. We are human beings who connect on story points. Those story points have to be authentic. And I think that it's really about, I mean, I'm just gonna speak frankly, it's kind of about the bastard, bastardization of the creative idea and ideal, mm -hmm. you know? Um, only people can truly create with the uniquity in which we create. Otherwise, I mean, you know, it's after a while, it's all going to be rote. It's all going to be, you know, kind of like you can't, you can create a plot point, an A and a B and a C, but what's the texture? What's the nuance? Why should people care about those plots? Well, it's the story behind the story. So, I'm very much, you know, while I'm a big proponent of technology and I use technology in my business and in my field, I'm a big proponent of the humanistic side and I'm a skeptic as it relates to just how well AI can keep us entertained for the long haul. Well, it's good to hear. It's good to hear that confidence. Um, and it sounds like you're not overly concerned about whether AI could take the place of human beings, because I agree with you. I think in the end, they could try to do that. But I think the fans will be able to see through that. And we will be the final uh, arbiters or determiners of whether we're going to continue to support shows that use AI. I think you can tell. And so in the end, um, I think, you know, time will tell if they have enough guts to try it i don't i don't even i, I don't i don't see this uh panning out but yes. using machines to no <laughs> no but anyway so i am definitely pro-labor i'm against any type of exploitation of um human resources um but I think, you know, everyone should have fair wages and everyone should have benefits such as paid time off and health benefits and things of that nature. So from your perspective, um, what do what do writers uh, want 
in this next um, agreement that you have coming up, this collective bargaining agreement that they don't already have? I mean, you, you guys kind of touched on a couple of points. So the main thing is this, um, Dr. A mentioned this about series and we had a um, conversation with a writer producer that we're uh, collaborating with um, a couple of months ago. And he's, you know, I would say an old school TV writer producer. So what you said about the, the length of series going down, we have to understand that each episode is basically a week plus a certain amount of months and all of this time that's put into it. So each week that you're on the writing staff, you're getting paid. If that's cut down by a third or two thirds or whatever, you're getting paid that much less. Okay. I mean, it's just a numerical thing. And then also if there's a situation where you're um, where they're doing, you know, what's called mini rooms, which are small writers rooms, where they're doing like Dr. A, you're doing four episodes of your project, but it's you doing it for you. But there's situations where they're bringing people in and they're working on this stuff in a very short period of time. So they're getting paid, but they're getting paid for an inordinately less amount of time than they normally would based on prior uh, CBAs, right? So the writers are, are getting paid less uh, there, there's less, uh, even though there may be more streaming services, but there's less amount of episodes are being produced. And part of the reason why, again, when we were having this conversation is because everyone wants to try as much as possible to have cinema quality TV shows. So the money has to come from somewhere. So, you know, they're, you know, they're cutting up the pie in as many pieces, places as they can. And, they want to throw it on the screen. But unfortunately, in this case, the writers are suffering because there's less work, less time. And then and then in terms of the residuals and so forth, that's a big point because um, streaming data, you don't know, you know, the data's there. They have the data. They know how many um, of whatever show or movie, how many times it's been streamed, how many times it's finished, it's down, you know, like you can, you can down to the minute, you know, oh, this person watched 10 minutes, this person watched the whole thing, so on and so forth. So the, the writers definitely want to, you know, receive a fair share of that money and, and have transparency with that so that it's fair. And um, the last thing that I probably would say is that I read an article somewhere and I don't recall a writer's name. So I'm not going to say oh, it was this person and they did that because I don't remember their name. But I do recall the situation where the writer said that um, they had a show on a streaming service. Um, it sounds like a fairly successful show, definitely successful service. And they were, um, because of the amount of weeks that they had to work and they have a family and all of this, they were basically taking food home from craft service in the commissary. So if you're wow. a working TV writer, and you got to do that. And then when you think about insurance and things of these nature, um, if you don't, if you're not fortunate to have um, other skill sets that can pay you at the same time that you're doing this or, you know, or, you know, different streams of income, if this is your only stream and you have a family, it's tough. And so um, that's, you know, that's the main thing with the writers. We know that the Screen Actors Guild is, you know, 
poised to potentially strike if their situation doesn't work out for basically similar reasons. And then um, the Directors Guild, it sounds like there may be a, a deal that's in place with them because, because they're, everyone's asking for the same thing, basically, just in a different manner. And then the last thing I just wanted to say, I'm sorry, uh, back to Christina's point about the AI, I totally agree with everything both of you ladies have said. I'll just add to this that there may be um, some issues with copyright because at the end of the day, the AI isn't writing anything. All it's doing is looking at a sample of thousands of already produced and copywritten product. And then, and then it's, it's, it's spitting out what's already there. So there potentially could be a copyright issue, copyright violation issue with, with the, that. And then also the, the point of the AI is not a human being. So how can a human being copyright anything? So there's a lot there's a lot of things that may come into this and I think that that's what they're they're looking at just in in terms of of um is is this even you know viable is it even legal you know what I mean so um that that would be the only points as far as I can say in regards to that but um it's uh it's it's definitely you know it's definitely a, a hard situation for a lot of writers out there and I think of especially um, for writers of color, mm -hmm. right? We know that representation has been a huge issue, not just in Hollywood, but pretty much in any creative endeavor um, in which we participate. Representation is important for a variety of reasons because young people need to see people who look like them or who can um, explain an experience that they relate to um, in the media and uh, in cinema, et cetera. Um, because they need to feel a, a sense of self-efficacy, which is the, the loosely defined academicians call it sort of that feeling of, I see this person who's mm -hmm. doing great things. If they can, I can too. Yep. And so we already know that there are a bunch of false stories, scenarios, um, stories that don't tell the whole truth as it relates to who we are as black and brown people. Um, and so when you try to put limitations on a writer's room in an already competitive business where, you know, especially black women have to compete um, that much more um, vigorously for, for jobs, you know, how does that story get out? How do you help other young black women know and understand that they have a voice, that someone is connecting with the, their internal voice and sharing it with the world. And that's important because we have a bunch of people right now who don't look like us, who are sharing or have erroneous thoughts about who we are. It's affecting our social construct. You know, people who decide um, through their erroneous racist ideals that it's okay to shoot somebody who's standing on their front doorstep. Well, where did they get that? They got that from erroneous stories that they saw on a news channel that is not um, telling the full story of who we are as African-Americans. So it's important that we continue the fight to own media, to um, tell stories um, that are authentic and truly reflect who we are um, as as people of color. We are people who created 
you know, the greatest of structures and civilizations. And, you know, we need to get that history out, history out so that, um, you know, people can, you know, maybe they won't, maybe the, those who are narrow-minded won't change their minds, but we have to get it out in such a way that no one can dispute the truth. Yes. The truth is not fully being told right now. And that's, that's my real concern. I think that is so true. I, I think we definitely have to tell our own stories. And so as Black writers in Hollywood, how, what is it like to try to get work? And how do you, I mean, where do you go to network with other people to find out about opportunities? Um, I mean, from your perspective, has that been a challenge for you? How does that work in Hollywood with Black writers? So I'll just say that, so so I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, right? Because um, I, even though I am uh, planning a very, very exciting return to Hollywood, mm -hmm. um, I was a sitcom writer um, probably right before social media was coming in, you know, so we didn't have the benefit of connecting with people electronically, unless you were emailing somebody, but, um, but we still had you know, you had core groups, you know, you, we found black writers who were working on shows that you were working on or somebody who knew somebody or, you know, you tried to go to seminars and places where you knew your favorite writers were going to be. That could be, you know, you had to be resourceful. Yep. And I mm -hmm. think also the writing, the writers uh, groups of the world also helped, you know, where people kind of come together. Um, there were different um, ways to kind of raise your profile through like, I think Warner Brothers used to, or may still have um, a television writing yeah. uh, program. And, you know, so you had to be really strategic and really resourceful. And, and I think that, Young people are doing the same thing um, this way, but also using electronic media to yeah. do it. So um, it just kind of depends. I don't think that there's one uh, magic bullet, so to speak, for you know how you become like the most well-known black writer in Hollywood. Uh, but you know, you you have to seek out opportunities. Obviously, when you show up, make sure you are ready for the task whether it's writing something or sharing a sample or just talking to someone very passionately about what you do. Um, and then it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about there being communities of color, you know, writers who have made it, who wish to um, help to elevate the profiles of other young, young black writers who are coming along. Yeah. But there's no uh, one source that uh, that someone could go to. For example, if I'm working on a project and I want to hire black writers because of the sensitivity of the project or what have you, is there a source I could go to to say like a I don't know, in, in the legal yeah, yeah. field we have the National Black National Bar Association, a group of black attorneys. Is there right. something similar for black writers in Hollywood? Well, an actual organization that's specific, I, I I can't think of an actual organization, but I'd probably say that there's um, 
I mean, there's there's resources like even even NAACP is doing. They have like a a film uh, a, a studio or a production studio, and perhaps there there might be some a resource in terms of uh, a database of, yeah. of people that may exist. I mean, the Writers Guild would have some metrics and stuff like that, of course. Okay. Um, that that you can utilize. Um, what Christina mentioned before, these diversity writing programs. Mm -hmm. If you reached out to one of them and said, "Hey, um, we're inter I'm interested in hiring some people from, you know, that came out of the diversity program that may be looking for work. There okay. may be a possibility. I'm not saying that they will, but there's a possibility that they could say, "Hey, we can, you know, get your contact to this person." I mean, obviously, if the if the writers have agents or managers. Um, you know, and, and that information is out there. Of course, you know, certain agencies or whatever, every, you know, there, it's there, but there, I wouldn't say that there's a, a central repos repository where you would, you know, okay. find that information, but there is various different places that you could definitely do it. And I, I do think that the Writers Guild, um, especially over the years, has been working to, um really connect with writers of color and minority writers. Um, I know that they have a committee of black writers um, that kind of helps to empower black writers. Um, so I think just like with anything else, you have to do due diligence, search for every opportunity, whether it's a writer's group that is connected to a university that you're a part of or you know, there are some informal writers groups um, where people gather and work together. So it, it just kind of really depends. Um, but if you're going to be undefeated, I'm sure you get to the right people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Charles King is a, is a big name uh, out in Hollywood, uh, an alum of Howard Law School. Mm -hmm. um, and I... I he, <laughs> I do a lot of research on my own. Like I, I'm inquisitive. I want to find out things. I usually, I don't like going and asking people at first. I like to go to people with a certain amount of knowledge. So when you start talking to them, they understand that you're serious about what comes out your mouth and that you're in the know about what comes out your mouth. So I would tell people and and I'm I'm not a writer. I you know um I would love to be one officially. I, let me say I am a writer. I'm just not a professional writer. Um I would say look at the the black television on show on on TV, right? And look at the end at who EP, who were the writers, take all their names down, Google them, see where they work, see what they do and try to reach out to them via that way. I wanted to piggyback on something Christina said back about telling our stories. Uh, one thing I would like in Hollywood, and this is what spirit has me to write, is not just our stories being told, because I think we're seeing, a, we're seeing some of that on television, but it's one kind of like path. And what I mean by that is Right now, I'm looking at representation of African-American men still as criminal. So you have shows like Power, BMF, Snowfall, The Wire, different shows that have been on TV that are hits. Like a lot of people watch these shows, our audience, our folks, we watch these television shows because they like them. But the protagonist is, 
usually a villain, a drug dealer, so to speak. So other shows, like I try to write smart shows. I don't try. That's the only thing I do, right? To show that that black male isn't the only black male that exists. Like we're talking to two professional writers right now. Mm -hmm. Why can't there be a story about two professional writers that are married, right? You understand what I'm saying and what they go through. We see it in uh, other races, right? So there's a spectrum. So I always, like my whole thing and my research in school was based around this, like why we only represent it this way. Um, and I'm not knocking that way. I was a fan of Snowfall. I was a fan of BMF. I'm a fan of entertainment television. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll be honest <laughs> with you, right? Um, but I would like to see more good. Not only when I'm saying, uh, okay, uh, when I'm saying good, I'm not, uh, or when I'm saying bad, I'm not talking about bad writing. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about bad characters. Right. Yeah. So that, that's what um, I, I'm saying on that. And so to me, it's just like, that's why I indulge in things that are like thought provoking and interesting um, from a different standpoint. You know, um, I think what's the, the brother's name that uh, who was Franklin? Oh, uh, Dasmin Idris. Dasmin Idris. Mm-hmm. Thinking uh, Miss Harvey now, um, I think he's an incredible actor, and I've seen him in more than just Snowfall. Yeah, right? I, um, and I applaud it. Um, so I, I just want to see him in, like, let his role take a different path, just like Denzel's did. Like Denzel wasn't always in these slave, right, right, criminal uh, films. You know, he played good characters too like in philadelphia and things of that nature so that's what and and i know i'm talking about black males Mm -hmm. my study and i was also say look at what Issa ray did to go back to what kim was talking about kim Issa ray got on youtube did awkward girl and pushed that out there herself Mm -hmm. they came calling to her right and so when i worked in the record industry that's what was always told to me when I was shopping artists. Like, get your artists out there, right? Sell CDs out of your trunk. Come back to us and say, we sold 40,000 CDs out of the trunk of our car. We're a big machine. They're like, well, if you did this 40,000 out of the trunk of your car by yourself, imagine what we can do when we put money behind it. And so, you know, that's my narrative uh, to folks out there watching. Uh, I, I probably yeah. was. No, I'm sorry. Go on, Christine. No, I just want to say that I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that um, it's unfortunate that the um, profile of the black male has strategically been portrayed Uh, more negatively than positively. And I think that going into that is the thought process of who is buying these shows, you know, and what is their mindset? Um, So I want to just kind of edit what I said and say that, yes, our stories are being told, but I'm interested in having the totality of our stories being told and having more of the truth show up because I'll be honest with you. I, 
I don't know. And, you know, I'm originally from Baltimore. I don't know a lot of the characters who would have been in a snow, snowfall or a wire. Right. I know far more, you know, highly successful um, black men who are leading their families and are, you know, have a high level of education, et cetera, and so forth. I'm not hating on folks who don't. I'm just saying that, you know, it's a powerful image, you know, the story of the, you know, well-educated, um, emotionally whole black man. And that, that person does exist. And, you know, um, AJ Parr is a, a very good example of that. You know, he has a family, you know, well-educated, you know, is always focused on positivity and moving his family forward. And I think, that all of that is important. So if we don't have, you know, black male writers and female writers who are championing, championing for those stories because they don't have, you know, enough slots on the show or they're not being cared for properly um, in terms of their pay, et cetera, that makes that truth telling even more difficult. And I probably would just add in terms of the uh, the series and, and the why, in my opinion, is just that. So first of all, Snowfall is a well-written, well-put-together, well-acted, well-cast series. So, you know, it's definitely something that I wouldn't um, consider a bad show in terms of, of what it is. But I do know I saw something recently where Desmond Idris mentioned that he was um, he's done with that Role, that. You know, he wants to move on to some of the other things that you're talking about and spread his news. And I think that's important. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, um, it's great that there, that there are there are there such as Christina and I that do want to do a different look. But I think they pick the so-called gangster shows because they're they're easier to sell. I mean, it's just uh, you know the reality of it is it's not a hard sell. And they and they have it has a track record that they can look back on and say, hey, it's similar to this and boom, put it out. Something that's different, that's a different look may be harder for people to accept on the surface. But if it's well done, an audience is going to come. I, I was watching the show um, The Bear on, on Hulu about basically a guy who's a chef and he's running a restaurant that his that his brother left to him. And it's just, you know, it's the stress of just running a little tiny fast food place, basically. So you can, and, and on, a, on a surface as a pitch, that, that may not sound dynamic, but it's well cast, well acted, well written, won, won Golden Globes, you know what I mean? So there's here in DC, we have Ben's Chili Bowl or, or you know, or Horace and Dickies or something like that that's, could be comp comparable to say the bear, you know what I mean? A small fast food family owned mom and pops thing. So it's, but it's about writers like Christina and I, and like you, Dr. A, um, that can just take a chance and put these things out there. And these are the things that Christina and I are, are working on is projects that are not, you know, I'm not saying that we'll never touch that space of The Wire or, or Snowfall, which I both think are terrific shows, but that's not the sum and total of what we want to do because it's not the sum and total of our experiences, people of color. 
Right. You know what I mean? And and that that's where it is. That's what we're fighting for. That's what all writers of color are fighting for, or all writers of different ethnic groups are fighting to get their stories out there. So. All right. So we want to thank both Christina and AJ for coming aboard. We definitely are going to reach out to y'all. Y'all are going to be our resident television and film folks. Um, so let's give it up to them one more time. And, um, and thank you. Um, Best of luck with everything, all your endeavors and everything that you guys are doing. And uh, we look forward to seeing your work. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so much. Y'all take it easy. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Much success with the show. Thank you. success with the show. Thank you. Care now. Care now. <laughs> he took the wrong person down. <laughs> How do yeah. I sound, Doctor? Doctor, you, you sound good. You, you sound good. Yeah, but you okay. might. Have to go echo. You want me to go out and come in? Yeah. All right, folks. While we're waiting for my partner to come back, there she is. We will get ready. Let us move on. Well, hello. All right. Moving on to our next story, which is an interesting one. Uh, we are talking about the Twitter safety at Twitter. <laughs> uh, they're uh, safety executives that are leaving um, Twitter because they are concerned about policing the content. Um, and so just recently, A.J. Brown uh, just left um, Twitter, um, followed by um, he followed his boss. who And I can't pronounce their name. Um, Ella Irwin. Yeah, Ella Ella Irwin. Yeah. So, real sure. She was the head of trust and safety. Right. And she was responsible for safety and content moderation. Hmm. And so, basically, what's going on is they were looking at the ads. Like, advertisers were pulling away um, or halting their business with Twitter because they didn't want their ads to be next to like adjacent to um, hate speech or anything uh, like that. And so. Um, right. You and know, I think Musk that... is big on freedom of speech, um, but. Yeah, I mean, he to me, ever since he took over Twitter and bought it for the $44 billion. It's basically been a dumpster fire, <laughs> in my opinion. Because as you said, he's supposed to be a proponent of free speech, but he thinks there's no limits to that. For example, he thinks it's just fine to use the N-word. I mean, the day he took over, 
people just went on Twitter and just started just hurling the N-word for no reason. You know, so, I mean, I'm not surprised that these executives have left the building. The last one that left, um, Ella Irwin, she left because apparently there was a user on Twitter that was intentionally misgendering a transgender person. And that's supposed to be against the rules. So for example, if a transgender person- Yeah, they wants, call it dead name dropping, something like that. Is that what it is? So if they want to be referred to um, with certain pronouns, then that's what you're supposed to honor and that's what you're supposed to do. But a user misgendered someone- Or their new and, names. Oh, they're, for example, like if, if they, they went, went from- if they're going from Larry to Lucy, Right. You're supposed they want to be called Lucy and they're, they're calling him Larry. Exactly. And all Ella Irwin did was it pointed that out and admonished the person that they can't do that. And Elon Musk publicly stated on Twitter that there's nothing wrong with that. It's not illegal. And so she and was he probably excoriated, he excoriated the whole staff that was doing. They said that they handled that wrong. Right, um, and so that just caused her to say, "You know what? I'm not exactly. dealing with this anymore." Exactly, because she was probably like, "What do you need me for? Like, <laughs> if you're just gonna overrule what I'm trying to, you know, uh, enforce here, then you know, I might as well leave." And so I, you know, I don't, I don't blame her at all. Um, it's just totally disrespectful. And again, I think. You know, I'm not I'm not really a big social media user. Like I don't I don't have a Twitter account, but I do lurk and read Twitter and get news from Twitter and things of that nature. So I mean, I don't have a dog in the fight. I really don't care. Twitter can fly away for all I can they can <laughs> fly away for all I'm all I care. But yeah, I don't I mean it just seems like the company has lost its what's the word that I'm looking for? Is it cachet or the, the, I don't know. P people don't seem to be as enthusiastic about it as they were before. Do you know what I mean? So. Well, I, I, I'm not going to say that they, the, the advertisers are trying to roll out and there are people who are speaking up and out against what Musk is doing. So they put in some new technology for advertisers. Like mm -hmm. they are able to compile a list of a thousand words that they don't want their ads adjacent to, like okay. next to, or like either above it or below it. Um, that's something that they gave them. And they are screening for more like hate mail specifically um i mean hate messages i should say and they're not letting ad you know ads be close by there but ad companies are still saying they don't want to be affiliated right. with a uh, platform that is going to allow this type of talk or discussion to go on elon musk and folks that are with free speech i'm with you it's just like free speech we should have but free speech is also dangerous um so and it should have limitations right so it should um and you would think that 
people are sophisticated enough to not spew that type of garbage on national platforms. And I don't know who Elon Musk is trying to appeal to. Why why appeal to hate groups? Well, I can tell uh, why you why appeal to people who are full full of hate. Like what right wing um garbage are you trying to put out here? Like are you trying to push uh two folks in this country. Um hate hate talk and hate speeches shouldn't be tolerated. That's how things happen. That's how big events, mass killings, i.e. I can't even call him a gentleman, the person that drove to Buffalo and killed all those people in the grocery store. That stems from hate speech. Right. You know, oftentimes online. Yeah. So I don't understand what he's trying to prove. And then when he took over, he also reinstated Donald Trump's account, which was a big red flag to me. And that told me what his intentions are. You know, because Donald Trump, um, his account was deactivated because he was spewing a lot of lies, especially about the election. So for him to reinstate his account to me, He's saying that he uh, condones that type of uh, deception. Well, he 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 now he publicly says he doesn't with that. Um, but your said, actions speak louder than words. You well, reinstated Donald Trump's account. OK, just because he reinstated him, that that doesn't mean he's going <laughs> to he's going to be OK for Trump lying. Like he did. Um, now he said he did say like the misinformation that's going out. He doesn't like. He didn't say anything about freedom of speech. He he wants information to be factual, but he, he there's a lot with him, uh, and I'm not trying to analyze uh, Elon Musk. That's another show. But I just think that one should take notice if they have a Twitter account of what's going on. Um, Indeed. Yeah. And, and yeah, we need to try to do something about that. And let us move on. This is probably our most interesting story. (laughs) California moves toward the next college sports disruption. Sharing revenue. Let me say that again. Sharing revenue with athletes. How is this going to work? Simply, um, they're going to look at the 2021 season as an earmark of how much revenue the colleges in California you know, have generated through sports and coming in 23, 24, or might be 24, 25, but I think it's 23, 24. Any money made above that is going to be considered new money that they're going to have to split with the revenue generating, uh, athletes and what i mean by that that's football basketball uh girls and boys and probably softball and baseball um whatever at your university generates revenue 
Um, so you're talking about potentially tens, 20 millions of dollars. Um, I think they're supposed to give them like six months after they count these receipts, at least up to $25,000 of that. And then while they're in cool, yeah. And then the athletes get the rest of that money when they graduate college. Now, I don't know the time they have to graduate college. They have six years. Okay. They got six years to graduate college. Mm -hmm. So it seems like a lot, but it's probably not going to be as much. I mean, it's better than zero. It's going to be a lot of money, but it's not going to be as bad as it could be if all these guys were graduating college in six years. Well, I mean, that could encourage people to graduate instead of, you know, leaving early and entering the draft and things of that nature. Who knows? I, mean, I, I tell know. people all the time, if $6 million or $9 million is waiting for you, and I'm not knocking school, especially if you've been in school three years, you have a year to go, you can come back and go to school. You can do it over the summertime. You still can get that extra money if you do that one year in in, in that past six years, you know? So you all get... You I think this, yeah, I think this is going to help those athletes that may not be um, NFL or NBA material oh. if you will well of course it's you know so <laughs> right i mean because you could potentially you could be a good enough uh athlete to get a college scholarship and play in college and maybe not be good to play professionally but under this new law you could have a good eight hundred thousand to a million dollars waiting for you when you graduate so that is an excellent start in life for someone transitioning into a career um, and not necessarily taking a professional sports path, which very few athletes actually um, get the opportunity, opportunity to do. Even if they're good enough, a lot of things have to happen um, and a lot of stars have to be aligned in order for someone to be drafted into a professional um, sport. I think anybody would agree to that, wouldn't you? Yeah, but, you know, it, that's every year more people, uh, I mean, less people make the professional leagues than, than, uh, than, than do. So right. um, did I say that right? <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> I know yeah. what you mean. But I think the bottom line is I'm yeah. just happy to see that California once again is leading on this issue uh, and disrupting um, college sports the same way they did with the NIL legislation, which was called the Fair Pay to Play Act. Um, and once they passed the Fair Pay to Play Act with the NIL, the name, image, and likeness, um, they other states follow behind because they have to compete for these, you know, athletes who are now seeing California as a very attractive state in which to attend um school and play a sport. Um, and then, so now with this new legislation um, that the California Assembly passed, which is called the College Athlete Protection Act, um, they're once again leading where they're going to have 
college athletes sharing in all of this revenue that these um, schools are getting from these uh, major football programs and these major um, basketball programs where they have these uh, television and, you know, these media contracts um, that are potentially up to like, for example, UCLA had a $7.5 billion seven year media rights deal. And now student athletes can share in some of this revenue. And I think, I just think that's, that's great. That's fantastic. Especially when a lot of these athletes come from low income backgrounds, not all, but yeah, a good a, number a, of them. That's a myth. Like, well, you know, okay. I, and I, I actually agree with you because my brother and I had this conversation. He thinks that in order for you to have what they call a dog, like, you know, these like really, uh, what's the word? Uh, these stellar athletes, right. Yeah. Stellar athletes that are dogs that are like, you know, they have that eye of the tiger or that mamba mentality, mamba mentality, if you will. He thinks that they, you know, have to get it out of the mud and they have to come from these low income, impoverished backgrounds in order to kind of have that dogged, dogged ambition. And I disagree with that. But there's countless stories about athletes being in college, playing a sport and not being able to sometimes eat if the dining hall is closed. Yeah, I, I don't I would like what tell us what school that is mm -hmm. um because when gentleman was saying that i was like well it ain't who at the school it? when different gentlemen okay. who play college sports were saying that like we didn't have nothing to eat well if you hungry three o'clock in the morning then you waited to eat then that's something you know but i'm sure from seven in the morning to 11 at night there was food available for folks um and you talking about i i don't have no place in and at these universities the amount of maybe you don't want to get anything from a fan you walk into any of these places they're like oh he's on the football team here you know um i can't see that now it's different now but you can't depend on that you can't no, depend no on i'm that. saying now it's different the food is ready readily available in the dining hall, you mean? Yeah, it's available. Well, I mean, but sometimes they don't want to eat, and sometimes it may not be good. I mean, I, but I've heard stories about the, for example, if it's a big school, the football team eats better than the rest of the students. Have you heard that? Yeah, they have a different cafeteria. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it just depends. But, I mean, you do agree that this is a good development, though, right? I'm not sure. Um you're the only sure. reason, let me tell you why. The only reason is like, does everybody on that football team, 116 people on that football team deserve money? If you a walk on, you deserve that type of money. You like see, I, I could see them getting stifled. I don't know. They're not. There's some people that don't but, play at all. But Dr. A, that is the mentality that is holding us back. You can't be concerned about what this is. This okay, so if we get reparations, you're gonna say everybody no, doesn't let's, deserve let's, reparations. I ain't, I ain't, I'm not well, gonna. We should I'm get. Not, I'm not. I'm not gonna entertain reparations. The fact no, that but the point, it, I'm it ain't to make even a close. Point. I ain't, I'm not gonna compare those two. 
because it has nothing to do with one another. One the point that I'm trying to make, though, is you're saying because everybody on the team may not deserve money that the this legislation shouldn't be passed and we shouldn't uh, get I, let college I, athletes I, I, share in so, revenue? So Are you serious? So let's say, well, it's, it's only a revenue generating uh, okay, well, if wait, 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 I'd be like, wait, 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 give Dr. Wait, A's money back. You gonna let me finish? You gonna let me finish? It's okay. only revenue generating sports, right? So the tennis player ain't getting no money. The diving player ain't getting no. It's not getting any money, right? The golf player is not getting any money. So the only reason why they're getting money is because they're generating revenue. So if you're on the sideline, and I'm I'm not talking about you a walk on and you play. I'm talking about you a walk on and you don't. You don't play a, a down at all. Your four years at Texas A&M or University of Maryland. Do you think you deserve twenty five thousand? Deserve twenty five thousand. So, okay. So, but you're saying the legislation is good. But you just don't think everybody should be able to take advantage of it. all the every athlete on the team should be able to take advantage of it. I think this should be. I think it should be. The money should be earmarked. Now I'm not saying the person that walked on the team doesn't deserve any money, but I don't think he deserves people. I don't even know who you are. Say your son goes to University of Maryland. We don't even. We, nobody knows. Nobody knows who he is. He is. He's a walk-on. He's a walk-on. He doesn't play a down. He doesn't play a down in four years. In four years. You don't have to log off and log. You don't have to log off and log back. So if he has the if he has to go to a school, University of Maryland, doesn't play four years, does he deserve what the quarterback is getting? Does he deserve what the wide receiver is getting that played three years and started three years on the team? That's okay. I see. Dilemma. I see what you're saying. Right. But if I'm the quarterback, all I care about is that I get what I am entitled to. I don't care what everybody. But that's you mentality. And that's you because the kick because the, we, the, we can all eat. We, wait, wait, we wait, all wait, get paid. That, uh, that person that? that you say you don't care about could be your roommate. Your roommate could be a fifth stringer on a team, but y'all met freshman. Yeah, he just didn't rise up the scale as you did. But that's still your roommate. So, no, you know, but I, I'm what I'm saying to you, maybe you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I am. What I'm saying to you is I don't care if everybody gets the same twenty five thousand dollars. If you're a player on the team, you have to be a student athlete. You have to take the same amount of time to go to practice. It's the same. Even though you may not play as much, it's still the same amount of time that you have to devote to it, to your sports and to your studies. So it's, it's why not. should there be a difference? I'd rather see everybody get $25,000 while they're in school. And maybe the amount that they get after they graduate is different depending on their playing time and things of that nature. But Shanta, we're, we're talking you, this, about billions of over, dollars. It's over. enough to go around. You're, 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 I'm just stating my point. 
Your point is your point. What I'm saying, let's say the first string, that's the first string is 11 on offense, 11 on defense. That's 22. Let's say the second string, right? That's the next 11 on offense, the next 11 on defense. That's 44. And let's say the third string, that's 66 people, right? There are 115 and 20 people on a football team. Do you think those other 60, hardly, the third stringer is not hardly going to play. But do you think the people after them should get the same amount of money? That the first, what what are we doing here? Everybody like, should get $25,000. Everybody got a, a scholarship. No, right? they're going to get more than $25,000. Well, while they're in school, they're going to get $25,000. Per year. Right. Yeah. So why shouldn't they all get $25,000? Because they, they to me, they're all a part of the team. I'm not saying they shouldn't get the money, right? I, th hear me out. So I, I don't want you to say it's a zero-sum game. I'm just saying that person at the end of the bench, and they don't practice as much. Because in practice, you're going over the first two, the, the first and second string the most. The third string is not getting that much time in practice. So they don't have to do the same thing. They doing the same drills, but they ain't running through the same plays. They just practicing and doing other things, but it's not the same. They also not risking their bodies on the field on Saturday. I'm I'm being honest with you. So if you were on the team, you would you would say thank you for my twenty five thousand dollars. But Jimmy over there on the end of the bench, he doesn't deserve twenty five thousand dollars. Why are you concerned about Jimmy? You I'm got not your twenty five. You're changing the arguments. I'm not. Right I'm yes, trying are, to understand you what you're not, saying. Not, you're you're, you're, Is that what you're saying? You're changing the argument like I'm on the team. I'm just saying, why are they doling out this money to these folks on the field if you're talking about – then why not give money to the softball girl who's a pitcher on the team that helps – uh university of maryland get to the 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 college world series but you're not giving her hardly any money because hardly anybody comes to see them play but when the people do come to see play they see her play they're not seeing jimmy jones at the end of the bench at player 98 they're not seeing him play so to me yeah i'm talking about fair and equity they're saying they're giving these college kids the money, not because they're playing college, because the amount of revenue that's being generated, they feel like these folks deserve the money. And to me, the people who cause you to tune in to television and watch them play, they deserve more of that to me. Yes, that's just how and that's the way the world works. That that okay. that's just my argument. That's why I'm up in the air. Like, do all of them deserve the twenty five thousand dollars? Well, see, you're splitting hairs. My thing is, I'm not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth. If they pass this legislation and they are making it a law that the schools have to now share some of this revenue with the student athletes, I'm all for it. As oh, for how you. As for how you divvy it up and all of that, we can figure that out. Okay. Well, that's the same thing I'm but saying. I wouldn't have a problem with every member of the revenue generating sports receiving the minimum $25,000. Because think about it. Under your logic, they shouldn't all have scholarships. 
but they all they do. All, no, they all don't. Okay, well, if they're not walk-ons, they all do. That's what yeah, I'm saying. But some think, of the scholarship I think, recipients I think, don't I think always 80, pay. I think eighty. I think schools can get up to eighty scholarships or eighty-one, and I'm talking about the big-time schools. Okay, well, I think this legislation is. I think it's long overdue. I mean, I think it's it's only fair that these student athletes should be able to share in all of this revenue that these schools are getting when they're the ones going to practice every day. They're the ones sacrificing their bodies. They're the ones with all of the athletic ability and the athletic talent. And so therefore they should be compensated and share in all of this. Nobody's revenue. saying, so I'm happy, I'm happy no, about no, it. nobody's saying, so don't switch my argument around. I didn't switch your argument. I'm just I saying, you, nobody's I, saying that these students shouldn't get paid. The amount they're getting paid, that's another question. I, I don't, if you ask me, go ahead, get all the money that you can. But you. what I'm asking is, I'm asking it, is it fair? Right. So you're saying right now, you non quarterback, you're saying easily, well, if I was the quarterback, I wouldn't care about that. I wouldn't That's, as long as I get what on, I'm entitled on, to. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You may look at somebody and say he's getting twenty five thousand dollars right now. What if they said, well, 15 of that thousand dollars should be in your pocket. Well, see, that's not the case. And that's no, the problem. I'm asking you that. I'm asking you that. They're cutting it even. And I'm saying they're not treated equally. Because right now, look at it. It's NIL. That guy at the end of the bench ain't getting no money. And well, you get it's, 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 it depends on whether his name, image, and likeness can bring in the revenue. That's what I'm saying, Kim. So now they're going to... Now they, hold on. Now... That's different from revenue sharing. I wonder why. I wonder why they're passing this rule. So now I want to go to schools like the University of Washington or Washington State University, right? Which doesn't have a degree of a certain element on that team. And now you're paying all the kids. Because before this NIL, guess who getting paid the most in this NIL? The players with the high profile that can bring. And who and who are they? The stars on and the And what do they look like? Depends on the school. They look like you and I. That's who they <laughs> look like. Right. So now all of a sudden you changing this rule in the state of California, which will cross the, the country. And guess what? At Washington State University, or I can't say Boise, Idaho, but, but you understand what I'm saying. There's some of these instances. I, I see what you're saying. So right. you're, I mean, okay. So, so now I'm saying before like before they were before they were the same stars bringing in all this revenue to the school and getting zero of it. Right. So my point that I'm saying is, as long as they are compensated fairly, I don't care who else gets a part of the revenue. As long as I get my just due, as long as those star players who may be of the same hue as us, are getting their just due. I don't care what you do with the rest. You see what I'm saying? I'm not going to knock the legislation because some people are getting uh, what may not, what they may not have earned. I mean, before they, they, everybody's getting what they're not earning. The whole university is getting this revenue that the players are earning. They're not earning it. 
The players are earning it, and the players weren't getting any of it, and now they are getting some of it. Well, some of it. And so, if other people are going to get some of it too, then that's just the way it has to be. Some people at the university deserve the money that they were getting, but the players also deserve the money that they were getting. I'm not going to say that the 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 athletic director and all of them weren't earning the money. It just was a shame that they were earning money and the kids weren't. Right. You know, so but I, 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 I'm okay with it. Like go get all your money. But if you had to ask me, you say, are you okay? Well, I said, I wonder how are they determining how these kids at the end of the bench? And I'm, I'm mainly only talking football, right? Cause basketball, there's only 15 players. So they are going to do all the same stuff that the starting five does. They're going to get into practice and they're going to run those drills. But you can't say everything about players 70 and up, you know, uh, 70 and down in football, you know. So I, I'm just curious how that money's going to go out. Well, so, you know, now it could be something that players can work out while they're being recruited. Yeah, I I, I got to see that part of like how they work out that percentage. If you're a top recruit, then maybe you can say, I am going to uh, require uh, a certain percentage of the revenue sharing. Do you see what I'm saying? Maybe that's something you can negotiate, especially for the top recruits. But for everybody else, I'm okay. what's, What's happening now is you're not supposed to be doing it, but the schools are using the NIL to recruit. But is yeah. that telling like if they if they, if they said to your son like son, you know, <laughs> we here at the University of Maryland, and your son's like I ain't going to University of Maryland because it's right there, you know I won't be far away from my parents, so mm-hmm. you know I want to go to North Carolina, say something like that, right, or or down where his dad played at Virginia, right. But then Florida State comes by and say, hey, you come here, <laughs> we can guarantee you an L contract for like a half a million dollars a year. Right. University well, of Maryland's like, oh, we got this $50,000 one, and, and UVA is like, we, we got this $75,000 one. Florida State said, we got a half a million, $500,000. Now, I know if he went to his mother, his mother said, oh, we going to Tallahassee. <laughs> right? That's what you would say. That's a no-brainer. Do the math, son. Do the math. Mm, mm, not, not, you not so fast. All you want to. Not so fast. Not with I, I the, right, the down, right down to Tallahassee. Not it, with Governor DeSantis in control down there. No, not uh, so fast. But. I, well, I, that's a that's a good argument. That is, that is a good argument. So let, let's put it in all case. Well, I mean, the good thing about it, though, what I like is that I hope this works the same way the NIL did. Once California came out, then the other states followed because, like you oh, said, they have to it's compete. Gonna yeah. oh, they, they, they're so, going to do that. It's not yeah. even, if, is it, yeah, because nobody, then everybody's going to go to California. <laughs> but this still has to pass the, um, the yeah, state Senate. Senate and get signed by the governor, Governor yeah. Gavin. So we'll see what happens. But if you know, like you said, that's California, though. They right. they they passed the uh, NIL, so why not? 
this is a little different. Um, yeah. Oh, what well, you know? It is what it is. So it is what it is. And let us move on. All right. So Clinton Kershaw, a pitcher for the Dodgers, and a very good pitcher for the Dodgers, I might add, had a problem with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence indulgence on Pride Night, uh, that they were going to be recognized by the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he felt that they're making a mockery of Catholicism. What say you? Uh, This is a tricky one. It's kind of crazy what happened here because it's like first the Dodgers invited this organization to the game to be honored. And then after the fan backlash, they uninvited them. And then after more fan backlash, they invited invited them again. And then they have something called Christian Faith and Family Day that they have every year at Dodger Stadium. And so they announced that as well. And so now it looks like that was in response to this invitation to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. But so. You're mute. You're mute. Can you now hear me? I can. Now I can. Oh, sorry. There's a there's sort of a back and forth and a competing uh, ideology here with you know the Christian faction, and then you have this uh, group of basically queer nuns, if you will. Um, and so I think you know because Clayton Kershaw seems to be a more uh, conservative. It seems like, um, although he said he doesn't have a problem with them personally, he just thinks they're making a mockery of Catholicism. I kind of think that is just his excuse. I think he really just um, has a problem with these uh, queer nuns and maybe LGBTQIA plus community as well. I don't know. Well, but, he didn't do anything. You know, he, he didn't do anything last year during Pride Month. He didn't make a, you know, a Pride Night. He didn't make a think of it then. Um, and they usually say he doesn't say anything for us. So for him to speak is near and dear to the heart. Dear to the heart. Okay, so you think he was really offended by this whole the way they sort of uh, satirize Catholicism? Yeah. Because yeah. Um. I don't know. I, I, but I then just, what you said about I, what they do, like they do a lot of good. A lot of good. They do. I mean, they've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for people with um, uh, AIDS and people who are HIV positive. They've, they've raised money for homeless people and they've taken in homeless people into some of their homes, people of all faiths. Um, and they've, you know, raised would you money take, to help. Would you, would you take that if they were making a mockery of Christianity? Well, if that's 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 kind of like having a problem with a comedian 
who maybe tells jokes that are a little edgy, that make fun of people's religion or makes fun of like people tease, uh, you know, they make rate have racial jokes. Um, and so my thing is, that's how I look at it. If it's entertainment that I don't care for, then I won't look at it. But I don't have a problem if that's what they do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I don't know. It's not I, I would have malicious. a problem. I think I would have a problem with that. You can't say it's malicious to somebody's faith because you're making fun of somebody's beliefs. But they say they they say they're using humor and irreverent wit to expose the forces of bigotry, to expose expose the forces of complacency and guilt that chain the human spirit. That's what that's what their goal is. And so they've devoted themselves to that. And that's what they're trying to do. Uncover bigotry. So if they're saying humor in Catholicism, their humor may not appeal to everyone. And that's okay. It's and and I don't even think they were actually going to perform at the stadium. They were just dressed like they're dressed. Like if they come dressed like they're dressed. What's wrong with that? If they come dressed in Costumes, and none outfits. you know makeup yeah. and, and, and none, none outfits with makeup yeah. and they just put the like i was at the game on sunday me and my family we went to the nats game they played the phillies and during the game they honored some members of the military and all they do is they say hey members of the military are here yeah. please they did the you know, take off your hat bro. and salute Take off your hat and salute them. They show you on the overhead on the overhead camera, and so everybody sees them and they sit down and that's it. So that's what they did why, to us when I mean, we were little kids. That's what they did. What when we were little kids, like the Roslyn Little League from Roslyn, Long Island, is in just as such as they put the camera on us and we like. Right. So what is the harm in I'm having the way they're dressed country? up, like what they re represent and the symbolism? That, that's what it is. You're making a mockery of Catholicism, of the sisters that that, they, that raised them, you know, in, in their. You mean the same thing that people do every Halloween? I mean. Yeah. Pretty, what, what's the harm? Pretty much. It's dress up. It's OK, well, it, it, let, hold on. Let me say something. Say you're saying what's the harm what's the harm it's harming others it's harming others period like if if they say it's harming they us it's, it's harming just like us. people who uh, in the lgbtq community if it's harming them it's harming right them. you don't see the you problem see okay the well problem. you don't see okay, the problem well, you don't see the problem but they're crying i just gave you a long list of all the things that all the positive things that they are doing to help the community. It doesn't, They're serving so, the community. So, so if, 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 if white folks walked around in Klan uniforms and said they were doing all the positive things to help black kids go to school, you okay with that? You okay with that? That's, that, that's totally different. That doesn't even... All these people are doing is... I haven't... First of all, I haven't seen the skit that they did. So they apparently done... They did some type of skit where they're making fun of nuns i don't know I, I guess people have a problem with the fact that they're dressed up as queer nuns they have like white makeup on their face if catholics have a problem with it right then it's a problem period 
Okay, well, I don't know that Catholics have a problem with it. All I know from this article is that Kershaw was, had a problem with it. Yeah, and so people were asking the Dodgers, the Dodgers are like, why do you have to honor them? Who are they to honor? The Dodgers didn't say that because the Dodgers invited them. No, I'm I'm sorry. The the uh, they were asking the Dodgers, why do you? Who was asking the Dodgers? Uh, journalists. Journalists. They were saying, why do you have to? They were asking the L.A. Dodgers. L.A. Dodgers. Why do you have to honor them? So this wasn't. This was. This was for. It's been. It was for annual Pride Night. Right. For annual Pride Night. Right. Right, and they're members of the the. Uh, so I guess they're saying, why not? Why not? Maybe honor every every. They're queer. They're queer and trans nuns. Queer and trans people are part of the LGBTQIA plus community, which on which participates in Pride Night, and so they wanted to in, invite someone from the community for Pride Night at the stadium. So it makes sense to me that they would have invited this group. And just a couple of people were offended by it, I guess. I mean, people dress up as priests and stuff every, every Halloween. Priests, nuns, all kinds of stuff. And people don't have a problem with it. Now you have a problem with it? Like, I don't I don't get it. See, I, but, I don't... I mean, it's his right to have a problem with it, but... Yeah, I was about to say, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go far and say, like, they have... What, you, if they Catholic and they have a problem with it, then yeah, I, I'm with them. They got a problem with it, then we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it. I mean, that's the same thing that happened when uh 42 Jackie Robinson uh integrated the major major league baseball. A lot of people were like, We don't want any darkies in the sport. Yeah, but he came. And and so, but it's not about not it's not about not having LGBTQ people at the games. It's not they're not doing that. They're saying why is this group having a right to make fun of Catholicism? So it's not like they're not letting them into the ballpark. If they weren't letting them into a ballpark to watch the game, then that'd be a problem. But you're honoring them. You're honoring them. Right, you're, and by honoring is is acknowledging. Hey, the sisters of perpetual indulgence are here. Put them on the screen. Hello, everybody, salute them. Oh, for Pride Night. Okay, thank you. Sit but down. at the same That's time, it. we're honoring. At the same time, we're honoring Pride Night. We're excoriating Catholicism because we're allowing. Them See, that's I, you're drawing that conclusion, and Kershaw is drawing that conclusion that they're excoriating Catholicism. And he has every right. I don't. I I was I was raised Catholic. I don't I don't feel that. Okay. And so that's why they had there was a fan backlash one way, and then a fan backlash the other way. You know, like some fans were you, like, "You still no, go to a Catholic church." No, I don't still go to one. No, but I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic. I went to Catholic schools all my life from K through 12. And then I went to a Catholic college and I was raised Catholic. So, and I'm not offended. Did you, did, I'm not did Catholic you, now. Did you, go to a, did you go to Catholic college because you were Catholic or was it you, you went because it was a good school? Both. Okay. Okay. And, and I was, as I was saying, sports is often an entry point for progress in our society. 
just like with Jackie Robinson when he integrated the MLB. And it's people not the same were, as Jackie Robinson. People resisted that, but people aren't resisting them make- being gay. They're not. They're resisting the fact that they're wearing after uh, the, the 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 nun outfits. Nun outfits. He said okay. that they're making fun of nun. Okay. Well, that's that's definitely what Kershaw said, and maybe some of the other fans who had a problem with them being invited felt the same way. I don't know. They but, kept going back and forth. That's what I was saying. Yeah. That's what I was saying. They kept going back and forth. Um, you know, Kershaw is a pitcher, right? He's like a yes. major league. Yes. Okay. And so isn't his contract up at the end of the season? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this could be what drives him back to California, to the, I mean, uh, not California, um, to Texas. Because California is a very progressive state, so this this might drive him from the L.A. Dodgers to the Texas Rangers, in Texas, you know, run by Governor Abbott. I, I don't, I don't think so. Like I said, it's a lot more conservative state. Maybe, pride, but the pride there. thing has been going on for a while. You know, and I would tell people just because you live in Texas, I I live in Texas, don't mean you ultra conservative. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess it'll have to be left up to every individual uh, to determine whether or not the um what do they call the sisters of perpetual indulgence um are a mockery or making a mockery of catholicism because they're a group of queer and trans nuns all right all right All right, folks, we are getting to our second plug of the day, which is a book. And my partner, we're going to have to log out and log back in. So today, our second plug of the day is book. It's a book bag. It is something that I use. Here it is on the side, the, 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 the pockets, the pockets that I have on the side here. Now, book B is B-O-O-Q. It, it is a camera bag company, um, but some students, some students use it as um, book bags because they're smaller. Uh, their straps on the shoulder are smaller, smaller, they're not long. It's a little more comfortable. There's a, a cushion there. That's why I do this because of the cushion on the back here. I'll show you. It's, it has it on the arms. It's, it's padded heavily. And right here, there are big pipes here. And it has a serial number and everything to register to it. So this is a, a very, that's one bag. Hold on. 
Here's another bag that I have. This is the uh, pouch one. The bag that I have. It this has is a pouch. compartments in it. Come down. Okay, so that is book. So that is book. Let us move on. Oh. Hello, how do I sound? have a question it's a question address the question this is a question so what's the question answer the question all right so our question of the week is right. if you have one you want to share it but once you share it you do not have it if you have what is it you want but once you share it, you do not have it. What is it? That is the question of the week. Last week's question. That is the question of the week. Last week's question was, was, what can one catch that is not thrown? And the answer to that, that is, is not thrown. The answer to that is, I had one at the time, a cold. A cold, yeah. She gave it away last week. She gave it away last week. All right. So the question today, right. if you have one, how you want to share it? But once you share it, you do not have it. What is it? That is the question of the week. Email us at hotlickershow at gmail.com. Microphone check. Microphone check. How do I sound? You sound good, but we still have an echo. Let's just deal with it. I can go out and come back in again if you want. All right, try to. All right, try. To. Let us move on. Like miss. Keep it keep on. Hello, hello. Are we good? Okay, so today we want to highlight Barbara Rose Johns Powell. Barbara Rose Johns Powell was born in New York City in 1935, and she led a strike for equal education at 16 years old at her Virginia high school and filed a lawsuit with her classmates and with the NAACP and with NAACP assistance that was foundational 
to the historic 1954 Brown versus the Board of Education decision that rendered segregation illegal. She galvanized her classmates to protest the egregious disparities between black and white public schools, and she survived Ku Klux Ku Klux Klan harassment at her home. She was a champion of American democracy who risked her life for equal rights. Barbara Jones Powell, Barbara Rose Jones Powell, our little known Black History fact. All right. Let us move on. I like, I like, I like it. I like, I like, I like it. Okay, our last plug of the day is the read by brought to you by Kid Fury and Chriselle. Uh, they have a weekly podcast covering hip hop and pop culture's most trying stars, throwing shade and spilling tea with a flippant and humorous attitude. No stars safe from Fury and Chriselle unless their name is Beyonce or Blue Ivy. <laughs> Follow them on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, the Read is the name of the podcast, and that is our last plug of the week. Well, all right. And let us move on. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Okay, so the next one is the wig snatcher. Mm. There's demons in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about this one, partner. Oh, well, listen. Um, so I think her name is Ashley Lee. Uh, she you know, a black woman walking down the street in New York City, minding her business. And this guy, uh, I, he's clearly inebriated at the time. But he walks up to her and he snatches her wig off of her head. Uh, and she basically went off. I mean... Um, and she, you know, just, just began to ask him like, what, why did you do that? What is wrong with you? Why did you do that? And of course he was, um, so drunk that he was barely, um, uh, coherent and barely, uh, you could barely understand what he was saying. Uh, basically he was like, I don't know. I don't know. But his name is Anthony Orlick, O-R-L-I-C-H. And her name is Lizzie Ashley. And she's now going to sue him. So she's gotten an attorney. And she put this video on her social media, on TikTok. And... Take my wig off. Because what, what made you think that that was the good thing to do? What made you think that that was the good thing to do? For what, sir? Why? Why? Why did you take my wig off and just walk away? Please, please, please. Nah, have a nice one. Have a nice day. You, you're nice as him. 
Continue. <laughs> right. So once she put that video on her TikTok page, uh, people went to work and they found out that he is an attorney at a law firm in New York. And he was basically fired. So he lost his job. And now she's going to, on top of that, she's going to sue him. So yeah. that'll, that'll, that'll teach him to keep his hands to himself. What we all learned in kindergarten, keep your hands to yourself. And, and he's going to um, sell as soon as possible if he wants to start working again. You said what? He will settle out of court because if he wants to start working again, he needs to put this behind him. As long as there is, is a suit file. Hello? Yes, indeed. Yeah. So yeah, give give us his name again. Anthony Orlick. O R L I C H. Oh hell no. Yeah, it's a big Anthony Orlick. And let us move on. Give it up, give it up, go. All right. So um, the state of Arkansas is getting sued uh, because the books are of being restricted from the library. Mm -hmm. um, and again, this is it's been popping up all over the country about governors taking books out of curriculums and out of libraries saying that they're not appropriate for kids. We're wondering who gets to decide this, like what legislation is it going through is it just up to the governor to be the book purveyor of all these different states? <laughs> Why is he or she being able to pick the books that our kids can read and not read uh, in school? Exactly. And so now we're, we're giving it up to who's ever suing the state mm -hmm. of Arkansas uh, for this situation. What say you? I say good riddance. That's exactly what they get. And I hope that the litigants, uh, the plaintiffs are successful. And then I hope people take heed and follow suit and do the same thing. No pun intended. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That wraps it up for today. A long day. As always. We'll start with our plugs. We did the Brother Scanner. Uh, we did Book. And we did the podcast. We did Read. Our uh, Wild for the Week was You Don't Fight Racism with Racism. The best way to fight racism is with solidarity. That came from Brother Bobby Seale, co-founder of the Black Panther Party. 
we had two guests today, Christina Royster and AJ Parr, who helped us talk about uh, the strike in Hollywood and had an interesting conversation about writing uh, in Hollywood. Then uh, Twitter safety executives um, flee Twitter because of the lack of policing of the content. Uh, California moves toward the next college sports disruption sharing revenue with an athletes we encourage you to check out that story and then the sisters of perpetual indulgence we had a little spat with that one all right the question of the week if you have one you want to share it but once you share it you do not have it what is it all right little known black history fact was barbara rose johns powell right oh uh, uh, hell no went to who we call the wig snatcher <laughs> and we gave it up to the litigants of arkansas that is suing the state of arkansas for like banning books from the school curriculum i am dr a she is kim parker jackson and as always in closing thank you everybody for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us and as always in closing we wish you love, peace, and soul. And so, y'all have a good one.